Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time to get sexy on Secular Sexuality. Welcome to Secular Sexuality, the ACA show wishing you an undetectable viral load. I'm Christy Powell. My co-host tonight always makes safe sexy. Welcome, Vila Bianca. Hello, everybody. It's good to be back. Good to have you. And our guest tonight is an HIV case manager, advocate, and artist, Cynthia McDonald. Hello, everybody. All right, you guys. Um, we are going to be talking about something kind of heavy today, but also from all the from all the sounds of it, something kind of hopeful too. Actually, um, mm-hmm. if you are interested in contributing to this discussion, sharing your story, or asking Cynthia a question, because we love it when our guests get attention, um, feel free to call the show at five one two nine nine one nine two four two or if you're abroad or at your computer, feel free to type in tiny.cc slash call sex to get connected to our call screeners toll free. And it says here in the notes or whatever. So I guess <laughs> we're super excited about you. Or whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we hope to hear from you. I, I suppose it is a, a little bit of a heavy topic, but I think that there is a, a lot of optimism to be had here. Uh, let, let's get into it, I guess. Um, uh, Cynthia, with more than two and a half million COVID deaths in just the last year, I think it's really easy for people to forget that that's not the only pandemic that we're all currently coping with uh, on a global scale. Uh, there have been more than 30 million people who have died from HIV AIDS in the last 40 years, not to mention the the countless lives that have been impacted. How How are we doing globally in this fight against HIV? Oh, well, sometimes it just kind of just depends on what country that you're in sure. as far as like, you know, how how we're doing on, on the large scale. Um, a great thing about HIV is uh, HIV AIDS is that we have amazing treatments that's available to people right now where you can uh, be able to get your viral load to undetectable status to the point where you cannot pass on the virus to another person that you happen to be partnered with. Um, However, because of a lot of different barriers, including stigma and, um, and how that looks from place to place, we're still not really able, I would say like on a global scale to actually get this pandemic to the point where we can equate people to zero. And, mm. you know, and, and the thing about it is, is that people who are living with HIV can actually live very long, 
productive and healthy lives. But because there's still so many myths that are perpetuated, you know, um, about HIV, who and what type of person would get HIV, sometimes, uh, well, oftentimes, that can create a barrier that would keep a person from being treated. So I would definitely say that, like, in the United States itself, like, uh, I know there's a lot of different initiatives as far as like, you know, being able to get people from zero to get people to zero. And I know that there was a lot of different administrations as of late that actually um, put more money into HIV treatments, HIV science, and also studies uh, to, to make this happen. Um, however, we're still seeing like uh, different upticks, e- upticks in uh, infection, even in the United States itself. Mm. Uh, and also, it's kind of interesting, too, that you're even seeing more of an uh, uptick in, uh, in infections in different parts of these, uh, the, the United States, especially in the South. And, um, and, and an interesting thing also, too, is that uh, depending on the community itself, oftentimes like more uh, poorer communities, more marginalized communities um, are very much so susceptible to infection rates. A lot of it has to do with, you know, non-access to care, lack of resources, and even lack of really, you know, the education when it comes um, to what HIV is, how it can be treated, how it can affect you, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. Even like, you know, I would say like the uptick mostly as far as like infection rate goes, is the highest It's between Black MSM and black women. And um, so it's like, it's like, we have still a lot of work to do as far as like being able to completely eradicate this disease. and sure. infection rate. Yeah, it, it's not entirely unlike COVID in the sense that there are huge disparities depending on the population that you're looking at and, and the demographic that you're looking at within a particular population. I know that uh, a lot of folks, when we start talking about HIV, are, are probably having you know flashbacks of the Reagan administration and, and Clinton and the quilts and, and these different things. I don't know that people are maybe aware of, of how big this still is here in the States, but also how much things have changed in the past 20 years. How, how has our understanding of the virus itself changed and evolved in the, the past couple of decades? Well, um, definitely, um, I, I would say like the biggest game changer uh, well, it's two like game changers I would I can point out to as far as like historical reference goes, goes when it comes to HIV. Uh, before in the 1980s, like like late 70s, early 80s, when um, people were starting to come down with this particular disease, it was mostly uh, white gay men. And then we started to, and so like oftentimes what was uh, espoused about this particular disease was, oh, it's just a gay disease, right? Sure. Like a gay man disease. Um, but what was like a big game changer is like when... Uh, a young man, a young boy named Ryan White actually became infected with the disease and he was infected by blood transfusion. Mm -hmm. So that, um, and he became like a huge um, HIV AIDS advocate and actually got like, you know, a bunch of different celebrities to actually, you know, advocate with him. And uh, you start to see more money being poured into science and studies when it came to this particular disease to show that, 
doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is, any person can get this disease if they are if they are exposed. And oftentimes, like the main ways that you're exposed is either through semen or through blood. So you would even see people who are even happen to be like substance users who use needles, they mm-hmm. were prone, especially if they're using dirty needles, right? Mm-hmm. So um, once that happened, as far as like, I would say like, um, I think that he got infected, I want to say in the late 80s. And you start to see more of a, um, and then also too, like there was ACT UP as well, which uh, was another yeah. organization that actually like r- brought a lot of awareness when it came to HIV and AIDS. And um, uh, and then like once we actually saw that this is something that is can happen to any person, that's when you saw more money from the government actually being put into studies. And um And then the next thing that was like a game changer, because like at that particular time, if any person was uh, infected with HIV, they oftentimes would have to take uh, uh, treatments where it would consist to like 20 to 30 pills a day. Sure. Mm -hmm. But uh, when we uh, actually had a breakthrough uh, when it came to HIV treatment was in the the 90s when we saw the, the Proteus treatment. And what they ended up doing was is combining the capabilities of uh, previous uh, antiretrovirus treatments and um, into uh, single pills where people Mm -hmm. who were newly infected or even people who were legacy uh, uh, patients were able to lessen how many pills that they were taking a day um, exponentially. I, Mm -hmm. I remember one training that I went to uh, a while ago, where we got a chance to actually speak to uh, HIV patients who've been living with the disease for 20 plus years. Mm, and wow. one guy kept repeating this because he still was like in shock and awe. Mm-hmm. He said, I used to take 26 pills a day. Now I'm down to three. Like that is like, and, and he said it like three times and we just kind of just sit back because like it, it was kind of like he was still like ingesting that idea of not having to be chained in a certain way to taking all these pills in order to stay alive yeah. so yeah so like um those are like like so now we're to the point where a person living with hiv even if they're newly infected can be on an art or antiretrovirus therapy where they're only taking one pill a day it can still achieve a undetectable virus load so that they cannot transmit it to a partner. Yeah. So just broadly speaking, what do modern treatments look like and, and how has the prognosis changed? Because I know that when these things you were discussing first came out, the idea of living with the virus for 20 years was not not seen as a viable option, not seen as realistic. So like, um, like what I was just saying before, it's like far as like what has changed is that people who are living with HIV is no longer have to live under the guise of this is a death sentence. It's mm-hmm. not. Uh, like, as I mentioned before, people who are living with this particular disease can live long, healthy, productive lives. And, and the reason being is because like now that we have, you know, uh, and uh, ART therapy where you are able to have like very little to to very um well you know three to one pill that you can take a day that can put you into an undetectable load and um and not be able to uh, transmit it to another person and um and also 
there is a thing called prep and pep. Are you all familiar with this? Mm-hmm. Uh, I am, but please walk us through it a little bit. I, I think this sure. is really valuable information for the audience. Cool. Okay. So um, I will start with uh, PEP and then PrEP. So PEP stands for post uh, a, a post uh, pro- uh, exposure prophylactics, and PrEP stands for pre exposure prophylactics. So uh, and oftentimes they actually contain the same medication. So if a person who happens to uh, think that they are probably exposed to the HIV virus can uh, get on a PEP uh, regimen where they have to take uh, uh, this particular uh, ART um, uh, regimen for like three days, like 72 hours within exposure to, um, to, uh, to lessen their chance of actually getting infected. Now, a person who uh, who has used PEP, then oftentimes is uh, is counseled about taking PrEP. Now with PrEP, uh, that would be a one pill that a person would take where they cannot, well, that would lessen exponentially the likelihood of them being uh, infected if they happen to uh, engage in a behavior that would possibly cause them to be able to be HIV positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes uh, people who are, uh, and, they, and they usually have like a, a list of like different like uh, people who would be more prevalent to uh, being infected with HIV, uh, whether, and, and it's, uh, unfortunately it's still, you know, MSM, which is um, man having sex with men. Um, also uh, a person who happens to be a partner to a person who is HIV positive and other people who may engage in some higher risk behaviors like, you know, multiple partners, et cetera, without necessarily using other prophylactics um, would be eligible or would be counseled into taking PrEP. And um, and when that happens, then they don't necessarily have to worry about like that particular portion of, of STIs coming towards them as HIV. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you mentioned uh, that stigma is a is a huge barrier in really everywhere. I mean, certainly the states included. But in terms of receiving care and treatment, uh, I know that that stigma has got to be a, a huge barrier. What about uh, cost and and maybe some of these other considerations? What are uh, some of the other maybe targets or, or things preventing us from being able to uh, to take on this challenge on a global scale? Okay. Well, stigma is I, I would say is like the highest because mm. um, there's always some type of stereotype or trope that has been attached to HIV. Um, you know, like, and then, and especially like if, if, if a person who happens to be, you know, MSM that is still like in the closet, they are uh, definitely, and, and they may be more prevalent to actually uh, keeping those things in closed um, circulation, right? So that would cause them, even if they're like at, if they're even at further at risk because of, you know, uh, sexual behaviors or what have you, they won't come out to say that, okay, I engaged in this. And so they probably won't get treatment, you know, because they're just always afraid that, oh, somebody's going to, you know, call me this, or, you know, somebody is going to, um, you know, think that I am, you know, going to hell or whatever, you know, like a lot of these things are still, you know, a, a, a big thing. And, um, and also too, there's still a lot of miseducation when it comes to 
who is um, who if, if a person actually gets HIV and um, and how they got it. Uh, I remember reading stories about, you know, specifically on the continent of Africa in some villages where if um, uh, they some some people actually were saying that, like, if you have sex with a virgin, then that would cure you of HIV, you know, and like I saw actually, no, it's not. It's the only thing you're doing this is spreading it, you know, yeah. and um and it's and it's unfortunate, you know, um, that oftentimes that this is, is a thing. Also, too, like I don't know if you guys ever heard of a um, he was a guy uh, back in the day. His name is Doctor Sebi, and uh, Doctor Sebi uh, had a wild claim that he actually cured thirteen people of of AIDS, and he said that he did it using an alkaline diet. And as much as I believe in healthy eating. And I, you know, I'm I'm plant based. That is not going to stop you from getting infected with HIV or even cure you of HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a I had a patient who decided to go that particular route, and they almost died. You know, it wasn't until like we had to get educated and say like, no, this is you know, you need to take your your medication. You need to take this. It's going to save your life. And yeah. they were at the point where they had full blown AIDS. But once they got on the ART treatment, they were able to suppress their viral load. Their immune system ex- um, uh, um, accentuated itself or a- uh, asserted itself rather, and then um, they were able to you know be healthy. So you know. So it's a lot of barriers. And also too, like, as far as like cost is concerned, um, there are programs that are called patient assistant programs um, that are oftentimes from the federal level down and even in some um, pharmaceutical companies where patients who have barriers, income barriers, or, or, you know, lack of wealth barriers, rather, are able to get into the program so that they can get their medications for little to no cost. Because oftentimes without insurance or without those uh, patient assistance programs, like ARTs can cost a lot of money. I know one that's cost like over $3,000 for a 30-day prescription which is insane, but it, but it is a thing, right? So like, if you have a person who has like no insurance or, or, yeah. in, and, and also has like, you know, very little resources to get this medication, you know, they're at risk to uh, actually uh, be succumbed to this disease. So it's a good thing that, you know, we, we are having like more government buy-in making, uh, and also pharmaceutical buy-in to making sure that you know, HIV and like lack of resources would be less of a barrier so that people can be able to get their medication. Absolutely. Well, the the parallels are are pretty striking uh, when it comes to the impact of misinformation and how much that can exacerbate a pandemic. I mean, we're seeing that in so many ways right now. Uh, So, I, I know you mentioned uh, some upticks here in the States in, in certain demographics. Uh, I'm interested to know what, what trends we're seeing right now or, or maybe what there is to expect here in the States. Okay. So, um, so like uh, some of the trends actually show like, of course, like in the 80s, they're the most, most infections were, like I said, uh, uh, gay MSM or I'm, I'm a white MSM rather. And then um, as we traverse time, we saw more of an uptick amongst African-American MSM and also African-American women. And um, now what we're seeing is 
even a higher infection rate amongst this particular group. And a lot of it is from in the South. Now, I, I remember I was I was actually in a training yesterday where we were actually discussing Black MSM and HIV. And, you know, we talked a little bit about religiosity and how mm. this thing can actually be very much so a barrier for people being able to get tested and treated because they're afraid of what that yeah. looks like to them. And of course, the South, that's the Bible Belt, right? So, you know, you, you still have a lot of people who are not out about their sexuality because they're uh, concerned about how their family would receive, be received by them. And also too, like if they have like a community that happens to be church, they'll be concerned about that as well, you know? And so if they're doing a lot of their, um, you know, sexual behavior under wraps, and not necessarily, you know, being able to be out with themselves so that they're not even getting like, you know, the proper information or even, right. you know, the proper protection or what have you, you know, they're at high risk. And um, and it's un and it's unfortunate that, you know, we still have these particular um, you know, I call them Western sensibilities that are are very very much so um a yoke on folk when it comes to the you know especially when it comes to this disease yeah i i hate to think about the the influence of religion here uh, and the influence of uh you know all these pressures against science and the stigma against the queer community and just the simple reality that people are dying because of these unexamined beliefs I uh, I really appreciate you being here with us and and just helping to kind of shed some light on on where things are now and the importance of taking this and any pandemic very very seriously and from a a skeptical and and scientific point of view. Uh, that said, let me uh, toss it over to you, V, and and let you uh, jump on the phones and uh, anything else that you wanted to add here. Absolutely, um, I am very excited about this conversation just because it's not something I've seen talked about nearly as, as much as it should be just in to the general populace, which is where a lot of the stigma is coming from, right? A lot of the, right. the issues around this, the people with HIV understand probably some of these things at this point. It's everybody else who needs to get educated and actually like jump in there and, you know, battle that stigma that they are perpetrating purposefully or otherwise. Uh, so I'm I'm very excited about tonight. Thank you, Cynthia. Uh, we do have a caller on the line, Deborah from Oregon, who is a healthcare provider and wants to discuss with you how much the healthcare response has changed towards HIV. So let's talk with Deborah in Oregon. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I'm glad to be here. I have to say, first off, totally off topic, but I love, I don't know what to call it, Cynthia, but your headdress is just amazing. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so the main thing, when I saw the topic today, I, I just remember when I started my career as an EMT or a paramedic, um, it was very much in the beginning of the HIV um, outbreak. And I remember being so affected by the fact that I, I don't know what major city it was in because my memory isn't that great. But uh, I remember a man needing help, needing EMS, and no one would go and help him to the gurney. And there was a bystander who literally walked over, gave him a hand, and helped him walk to the gurney so that he could get the medical treatment that he deserved. Mm. And that's where I grew up in, in, in medicine. I, I saw that stigma. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. Dear God, if you breathe the same air with somebody who has HIV, you might mm -hmm. get HIV because we mm -hmm. just didn't know enough. 
And now as a healthcare provider, I see that HIV is just one piece. It's one piece of the human being or the patient that I am treating. Yes, I have to take some precautions, but I need to treat the whole patient, the whole person, not just his HIV. And I think that's the biggest thing that we have seen change is that we've now acknowledged that there is more to a person than just their disease process. And like I said, HIV is just one thing. And Cynthia, you have said so much in the last like 15 to 20 minutes that I totally agree with. You know, how amazing is it that before when you were taking all your HIV medicine, you would get so nauseous that you would throw it all yes. up and then have to start all over again yep. from 26 pills to three. You know, yes. that is amazing to me. And the other thing that you touched on that just blew me away is the, it's unfortunate, it is absolutely unfortunate in one of the richest countries in the world that economics actually affects the, the availability of treatment. Because I I love him. I'm going to use an example, but I am a huge fan, have been since I was a little girl, but I love Magic Johnson, okay? Magic Mm -hmm. Johnson is HIV positive, but I have to ask the question, would he not have converted all the way to full-blown AIDS if he was just a regular black man? And that scares the crap out of me. It Mm -hmm. does. And Mm -hmm. he is very big on on educating people and, and, and bringing this stuff to the community, but, you know, And then, again, you touched on another thing that I have to say is it's a stigma, and it shouldn't be a stigma because I don't care if you're gay, if you're white, if you're black. I don't care. I want you to get treatment. I want you to be healthy and live the best life that you can live. And that's the the thing that I wish we could get over as far as um, HIV treatment. That's the biggest thing. I wish we could really put that out there and say it doesn't matter, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. It does matter because people bring religion and their thoughts of their family into it. But, you know, I, I really hope that people see it doesn't, it's only one part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Because being HIV, HIV positive is no longer a death sentence, and right. you need to live your very best life. And I wish in every way that I can that I could be an effect. When I'm treating somebody, if you're HIV positive, okay, whatever. I have to wear appropriate PPEs, no matter who I am treating. It does not matter if you're HIV positive. I have to protect myself. And I just feel like there's such a stigma too. I wish that other people would jump on board and say, hey, you know what? That's a person. That is just a person. And it's just part of their medical history. Right. Well, it sounds like you're doing a big, uh, you're you're doing your part there, Deborah. It's awesome. Thank you for calling in and sharing that. I try really hard. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. You know, this amazing. might not be Yeah, no, it's it's beautiful to hear. Uh well, well kind of terrifying at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. this might not be a fair comparison, but COVID literally is a disease that you can get from breathing the same air as somebody. And yet right. even in the early stages of this pandemic, I don't remember that being the narrative or that being the anxiety among the Mm. interviews with EMTs and and things along those lines. Like certainly I heard anxiety and and fear and, you know, nothing but, but uh, compassion and concern for the medical providers that have been really, really struggling through all of the stress and strain of this year. Uh, But 
more to the point, I feel like because HIV so early on was labeled yeah. as a gay disease, that stigma has just never come off and has always been a piece of how we talk about this concern. And that breaks my heart a little bit. Like, I'd like to think that we live in a more modern world now where uh, people are just in general more compassionate or, or aware of these things, more scientifically minded and everything else. I can't say that that's true in any kind of meaningful way. Did you know you can't catch COVID if you have the right vibration frequency? I heard that online. Oh, wow. That's, uh, what what vibration would that be? Like uh, how many megahertz do you have to be the, of vibrating? The vibration of life and not of not of not of COVID. I don't I don't know. I don't uh, know. But yeah, I, I think you're you're spot on there, Christy. It's always if it affects the other, then somehow it at once is not as big a deal and it is also blown out of proportion. Right. Like yeah. like Cynthia was saying, uh, it only started getting the attention of government funding when it was revealed that anybody could get it right when it was con confined to well they're not like me so i'm fine all of a sudden now it's like oh actually you know maybe we need to do something about this but it also was demonized in a way that other viruses have not been and we're seeing the same with covid in a way where we're saying, well, why aren't people taking this seriously? Why isn't our government taking this seriously? And you look at the breakdown of who is actually dying from this virus, <laughs> and it is the quote-unquote other, right? It's communities of color that are being most Im impacted by this. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you're like, oh, okay, well, that's that might not be the full reason, but it's certainly a large part of it. Again, yeah, it's I mean that we can push away from ourselves. Yeah, I mean, to to your point, we were talking before the show about how in one day, the our governor here was speaking about how it was time to reopen the state and how it was safe uh, to reopen and remove mask mandates and different things. And then a few hours later, posted some incendiary comments about uh, illegal immigrants bringing COVID into the state. Like, it, it's that other. Hours. It's that. It's always the other disease. It's never our disease. And, and the second it is, oh, all of a sudden we're. Then it's something to be. Then it's something to be cured. It's something to be taken very seriously. Yeah. Othering is such a, a thing, especially when it comes uh, in this particular realm, you know, mm -hmm. um, like any oftentimes that we have seen, whether it be HIV, whether it be COVID-19 or any other diseases that, you know, oftentimes like marginalized communities are always going to be hit the hardest. Mm -hmm. And um, and a lot of it is because. It's um, the resources are not going to be there to combat it in a in a proper way right. until it hits home, right? And mm -hmm. it's always going to uh, and when it hits home, then it's going to be like, oh yeah, we need to do something about this, like now because it's at your house, right? Right. I, but right. the thing about it is, it's like your neighbor has been on fire for a minute and you ain't gave him a bucket yet, you know? Yep. So you know what do you say about that? Um, and and that's and that's unfortunate. And even speaking of like, um, I wanted to go back to something that I believe uh, the healthcare provider Deborah said. Yeah. Um, when she was talking about like, you know, HIV is just one part of me, but it's not all of me, right? So it's I'm not my status, right? I just happen to be myself who is living with this particular disease. Mm -hmm. And um, and I can and I and also too like that whole thing about like transmission. Even though, like, I would say that, 
I, I would say by like the 2000s, like a good amount of people were still much more educated on how you can and you cannot get HIV. Mm-hmm. But you still saw people actually um, uh, 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 perpetuating bad information, bad tropes. And I, I remember specifically when I was uh, being in church and a um, and another uh parish uh, practitioner of Christianity in the church with I uh, actually became HIV infected and they were also living in the closet, even though like there was murmurings and rumors like, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what they are. But at the same time, because again, of the fear of being ostracized that they kept it to themselves. And then when they were, then when they became to the point where yes, they are HIV positive, and to the point where it got to you know full blown AIDS to them, and they actually had to hurry up and get like treated. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I remember they, it was said all over the pulpit, such and such has HIV, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, and this is what God does when you are not practicing his word and and you leaving yourself into the temptations of flesh and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, and and then and the but the worst person part about it was there was a nurse that ended up getting up after, you know, uh the pastor, because the pastor called the nurse up and got up and told them, they said, tell them how you need to deal with such and such, you know. And they said, well, you can't hug them. You can't kiss them. You don't even Aww. shake their hand, you know. Mm. And I'm like, mm. you're a nurse. I mean, at, at that particular time, I was just a college student, but still, I was like, you can't get HIV shaking a person's hand or giving them a hug or, you know, anything like that. Why would you say that? You know, like you're a whole medical professional. You should know better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then when the person came back after they got released from the hospital, because their immune system was still kind of compromised. And, And if that, if you were saying don't hug them because of that, fine, but that's not what you guys did, you know? And, um, and then after that, you know, the uh, the person infected started to say, you know, well, God has delivered me. And let me tell you, I was sleeping with pastors and I was doing this and I was just doing that. And I mean, just like this completely continuously um, like feeding into this bad well of information, you mm-hmm. know, and, and and just making the stigma even worse and worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, like, and just to see, and I just think about that particular person, like, you can't even be your true self being here, yeah. you know, and, and because you could not be your true self, you're even living with this dis-ease now, right? Yeah. You know, because like you, you had to do everything in, under wraps and, 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 and I bet you, you possibly wasn't really even, um, educated enough right. or told enough like you know how to protect yourself when you are you know oh yeah because the christians are very very good at sex education general, oh yeah right? like, oh definitely. They, they've got yeah. that covered oh yeah <laughs> perfectly you know and and this and it's it's so unfortunate that uh, that we're still dealing with this to this to this very day yeah. like you know are in these particular you know religious um organizations like that some people go to and and especially if they have like such a you know a line about if you are you know if if you're heterosexual versus if you're homosexual or what have you and like and if you're homosexual you're going to hell and this and the third you know so they can't even talk about 
you know, uh, proper, you know, healthy sexual behavior, you know, right? Uh, because, you know, because God's going to frown on it. And it's, and it's unfortunate. Well, I mean, to, to draw this to a, to a recent event, I, I, I guess you'd call it. Um, so if, have, has anyone else, Christy, Cynthia, have you seen the, the, the Facebook page for Cy 10 Bruggenkate and what's going on there? I have not. Okay. So no, do you guys, not familiar. Do you guys know? Okay. So Cy 10 uh, was a, uh, a, a, an apologist, a precept. He's debated Matt Delahunty and a bunch of other people. He's, you know, kind of obnoxious. Uh, but, you know, he's an apologist. What are you going to do? Uh, but what he he posted something essentially on his Facebook page saying, I have been found, I've, I've realized that I'm guilty of moral failure and I am turning myself over to my church. I will no longer be allowed to be in a public sphere. So no preaching, no apologetics, no speaking. I'm giving them control of my Facebook. I'm giving them control of my, I'm deleting my social media. Essentially, he was announcing that he was going to be disappeared. Like, he was just like, okay, bye. Like, I am gone. And he's like, if you have questions, you can reach my church at this address. But like, I will not be talking with anybody. And it was kind of, it was like the setup to a horror movie, first of all. Uh, but it was also this, this idea that, okay, well, what happened and everybody seems to be like okay well it sounds like it was like some kind of sexual scandal or something mm -hmm. but we have no idea if this is like something where he was actually like abusive and a predator and something where he where the church is now helping him cover this up because that's not an apology right like if, if he actually hurt people that's not sufficient but at the same time it could be something like i'm gay in which case I feel a lot of sympathy for him because that is treated as something equally bad in a lot of these churches. And so when all all sex, everything about sex, especially that that correlation between being LGBTQ plus and or being somehow a sexual predator or, or an abuser is all lumped together, yeah. it really makes it difficult to advocate for for yourself or for other people right like it's like okay well do i do i get mad at this person am i am i worried about this person do i feel sorry for them i don't know because you just said it was a thing and that's the blanket kind of umbrella term and we're supposed to just say okay well i guess we're never hearing from this person again wow that's crazy. That very, very such strange, strange goings on it's, yeah it's so weird. <laughs> and, and like i really hope like I hope he hasn't like hurt anybody. Like I really, really hope that nobody was injured by this man, mm -hmm. even though he's like bad in other ways. Still, like I don't know. It's it's again, it's that inability to talk about things realistically or from a place of of solving and causes issue. very real problems. Yeah, yes, it does. Yes, it does. I mean, even think about it. Well, like, I was. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was going to move us to the next chapter. Please uh, let, finish your thought here. Oh, no, I, I mean, just like uh, to to your point, uh, V, about uh, the person who sounds like that they've been disappeared, like all of a sudden, like the men in black just came and swoosh you away. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, like, I, I was even just reading about like a, a very prominent uh, priest that's here in the city that I live in, mm. where they were uh, accused of uh, sexual uh, misconduct uh, with, um, and it was two it was two brothers that came forward first who uh, say that they were sexually abused by the uh, priest I want to say 
in the 70s mm. and then um and they were getting a lot of backlash because like i said like this um the piece is very well known and right. then um there was another per another allegation that came forward about sexual misconduct and you know and i'm just thinking to myself like that oftentimes when you look at clergy specifically that you know, you had people back in the day that actually escaped to these particular titles in order to cover up what they felt was like a sinful behavior, original yeah. sinful behavior, right? And um, and to the point where like even though that they happen to be under this uh, particular uh, title or in this particular seat, that it did not cure them cure them per se of anything. You know, they're still who they are. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, they, I don't don't know. It's it's just like a lot of of times that, again, that people would still be um, so constrained for not being able to be their their true selves that, you know, all of a sudden, because like when the true self comes out, it's a problem, right? You know, absolutely. Yeah. But go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I mean we we've been talking around it in a in a lot of ways. Uh, the the importance of just getting this information out there and and feeling comfortable having these kinds of conversations. Uh, you you've already kind of pointed out. Uh, we we understand now that anybody can get this virus. We understand how people get this virus. Uh, what are what are some of the other maybe dated assumptions that you can help clear up for us about uh, the way people used to view this or used to understand it that we we now simply know isn't true? Right. Well, one of those is that, you know, again, there's still people who think that you can get it like if someone coughs on you or touches you or, you know, or hugs you or even gives you a kiss. No, you cannot get HIV that way. You know, um, if you're in the same, you know, uh, presence as a person that happens to be living with HIV, you still get people that cringe. And I've seen it, you know, like if a person like reveals their status, you know, and then, you know, next thing you know, like uh, other people may get like sincerely like closed off and get very tight, you know, because they're not really sure if, I don't know if I should be in the same room with like, mm-hmm. no, it's really okay. You can be. Um, and, and also like, um, uh, again, like, um, you know, eating alkaline foods and, you know, going on like a strictly vegan diet and stuff like that, that does not cure HIV. It, yeah. it does not. Matter of fact, there is no cure for HIV. You know, um, even though like we came a long way as far as like how to treat the virus or to getting to the point where you are not able to uh, pass along to another person. If you become undetectable, um, you um, uh, you you still are. Uh, I lost my point of thought. I'm oh, sorry. Um, you know, like even if like that's the case, like, you know, there's there, there's still no magic pill per se. Yeah. Right. There's still no like, you know, you do take this and then you don't necessarily have to worry about HIV ever again. This one time and it's done. Right. Um, and uh, um, and also too, like there's there, and there's still, like I said, like a lot of like misinformation, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, how a person gets it versus like how a person can keep it from going to another or et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
like I told you, like that whole thing about like having the sex with a virgin. No, that's not cure you from HIV. Um, vice sure. versa. No, it doesn't cure. You can't go to a shaman. They can't go mecca like a high, make a honey hoe, and then get you away from HIV. That is not going to happen. You know, um, and and I would definitely say like you know, oftentimes like if people were more concerned about being in an environment where they would be more at risk to, you know, speak with their healthcare professional about what can I do to lower the risk factors in order for me not to get HIV. You know, there's just so many different ways and it's not just condoms. Like, Mm -hmm. I I feel like the, the condom conversation is played out. You know, well, if you didn't, if you used a condom, you wouldn't have to worry about the HIVs, the AIDS, you know, like, Mm -hmm. no, I mean, because condoms can break, you know what I'm saying? Um, They help, but they're they're not like a full preventative, you know? So, you know, oftentimes, like, people need to be more educated as far as like all the different ways that you can protect yourself, including using PrEP, including, Mm -hmm. you know, if you feel like you have been exposed rather early, getting PEP, including regular testing. That is a wonderful way yes. to actually yeah. be able to, you know, to help as far as like, you know, if, if you're probably been exposed, you know, there's rapid testing that have that you can do in a doctor's office. And there's even like, um, I know that the clinic that I work for and like other places that we partner with, we'll go to clubs and test people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and have a rapid test right then and right there, less than 20 minutes. You know, if you got uh, if you, if the virus is detected or not, you know, and then right then and right there, they give you resources on where to go in order for you to get treated and even get you hooked up with a person like myself <laughs> <laughs> to sure. offer you support. <laughs> Well, what what are the uh, the risk factors that we should be aware of then? I mean, if there are all these different ways of preventing the virus, uh, what should we be on the lookout for as a way of avoiding spreading? Um, well, there are certain like uh, different like risk factors as far as like mostly like behaviors, right? So uh, people who are uh, who use like substances as injectors, that can be a risk factor. Being that oftentimes if a person is um, an injector, as far as like their substance use is concerned, sometimes they don't always do it by themselves, right? They may do it in groups and they may share needles. So if they share a needle with a person who happens to be HIV positive, that's going to increase their risk factor in order for them to get infected, you know? So uh, that's that's one. Um, uh, so like oftentimes, like you will see like needle exchange programs where people can bring in like dirty needles and then be able to get clean needles in order for them to uh, engage in more what we call like uh, harm reduction, right? So um, that way, you know, one of those particular risk factors may not be as as prevalent, you know. Um, Another uh, risk factor oftentimes for people is uh, anonymous uh, anonymous sex. Mm -hmm. So like oftentimes, like if they are, you know, one to engage oftentimes with people who they don't know, you know, as far as like, you know, sex is concerned, there is a possibility, especially if you don't have a prophylactic, that you will increase your risk of getting HIV. So, um, so oftentimes just to combat that is that, you know, we would tell a person like if you are engaged in particular labor behavior or even if like a person like even engages like in group sex, like anonymous sex or group sex, mm-hmm. that, you know, no matter and, and this and this is regardless of sexual orientation. 
right. this is a risk, if this is a, if this is a behavior that you engage in, you should get on prep, you know, um, you should get tested often and you should get on prep in order to, again, lower your risk factor of being HIV positive. Great. Why? Well, I- I know that we've got a number of calls coming in, so I, I want to give V a chance to get that pulled up. But I, I want to make sure to ask you beforehand, what should we maybe know or, or just notice about how these conversations are changing? You know, we, we've highlighted a lot of the differences uh, of the last 20 years, but I'm, I'm curious about that stigma and just sort of the, the general social uh, strain and just the the way that these conversations are are hopefully getting more comfortable, but I, I wonder if that's really what you're seeing. Um, in some cases, I am. Um, as far as like you, you're do you're now seeing like especially like in media, uh, advertisements for prep, you know, mm-hmm. for uh for uh to so that you know you can direct a person in order to get you know treatment for that, and also telling them about. Uh, different, you know, patient assistance programs so that an econ- uh, your economics is not going to be a barrier in order for you to get on said treatment, right? Um, and then also, too, like you're seeing more people being open about talking about sex and then how they engage in sex personally. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I even know that, like, when I'm speaking to patients, like, I want to make that very clear to them. Like, you know, if you're speaking with me, please don't feel like you are going to shock me or you are going to right. make me squirm or, you know, squint or squish or whatever. Like you can tell me pretty much anything, you know, like including the Powerball numbers, but that's not the here nor there. <laughs> I am more interested in your health, not yeah. judging you. Right. And I think that is one of the main things that I'm starting to see erode as far as like bias and judgment when it comes to having conversations around sex and sexual behavior as it relates to HIV. Um, however, it's still, it's still not enough for me, you know? Um, and, and because again, there's still this stigma out there about who, who's more prevalent to getting HIV than who's not. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, do you feel like there might be, because the initial stigma, I think, was tied very closely to stigma around homosexuality and same-sex sex. And I'm wondering if you think that as we destigmatize being queer, being anywhere on that LGBTQIA spectrum, will the conversation around HIV and AIDS also like lose some of that stigma? I, I truly believe so. I, I think that like oftentimes if we can normalize sexual orientation and gender identification and where a person may be on that particular spectrum, then what's uh, also according to the stigma for HIV will start to erode exponentially. Mm-hmm. You know, just like you said, you know, this used to be HIV, AIDS is a gay disease, period, you know, and then mm-hmm. it used to be if you if you're even if you were a woman. Like that, that was happened to be, you know, same sex or uh, same sex or same gender loving. You were also considered, you know, higher risk, but actually that's not really true. You know, so that had to be, you know, again, uh, uh, a point where we had to educate people on exactly how you get this disease and what mm-hmm. are the studies saying about who is infected as far as like risk, uh, risk factors. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But oftentimes, like if we can get to the point where we can normalize you know like we have yes if people are gay they're gay so what right uh if people are trans they're trans so what you know 
can we get I, I I'm looking for today where we're getting past labels on people, especially when it comes to their gender identification and their sexuality. They are humans first and who they are and what they do is none of your goddamn business. Fair to say. <laughs> so we do have a couple of calls if we want to jump in. Um, we have Jonathan on the line from Alabama. Uh, he wants to talk about the disastrous, uh, the disaster that is sex education and its culpability in HIV transmission. Jonathan, welcome to the show. How can we help you tonight? Thank you, V. Hi, Christy. Hi, Cynthia. How you doing? Hi there, Jonathan. Howdy. Doing all right. Good to hear from you. Good, good. Well, uh, you, you did hear that I was from Alabama, so as far as disastrous sex education goes, it doesn't get much worse than Alabama in the United States. Uh, we compete for bottom in education in general in the first place, and as far as sex education goes, uh, they're not even required to give it at a high school level. They're not required to give it at all. Wow. I mean, I, I, I just ended up pulling up some statistics on that, and it's... Uh, they, they, they require children, grades 5 through 12, to receive some instruction on HIV slash AIDS through a health education program, but not in conjunction to sex, sex education. And I don't mm -hmm. know how you, how do you break do those two. Right. How do you talk about yeah. it sexually you, transmitted? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I how, that. how do you do that? Yeah. Without further stigmatizing people with HIV, right? Because exactly. then 100%. Them, like, yeah. Ugh. That's crazy. Absolutely. That's yeah, I, I mean, there there's a bill in place to require sex education to be medically accurate and remove language pertaining to self-control and ethical behavior regarding that and emphasize uh, the discouragement of risky behavior and remove the requirement to teach that homosexuality is not an acceptable lifestyle. Mm. And the, the fact that we have a bill like that in 2021 is mm. not great. We, we had some bills in the 2020 legislative uh session that unfortunately failed mm -hmm. uh so yeah uh alabama yeah. is terrible to queer people oh, yeah i mean that's not exactly breaking news i i suppose yeah. the the question becomes what is the solution here what is the strategy i mean i know that that's an impossibly huge question and for the folks who are watching this show and, and participating in this conversation right now I know at least part of the solution is to actively combat the misinformation and the problematic belief systems of religion and to challenge those things in a, in a public discourse. But ultimately, I, I don't know about you, V. I, I can't help but feel like no matter how many episodes of this show we do, the world is just scary and shitty in a lot, a lot of ways. So what what do y'all's minds turn to as, uh, as opportunity or, or solutions to even chip away at these things? Well, I love what Jonathan said about making sure you're aware of what bills are being passed, making yes. sure you're aware of what's happening in your state and local government, right? Making sure that this is because these things seem like they're far removed from you, especially if you're not you're not in high school anymore. Why should you care what's happening there? But like all of this has direct impact not only on your nation, but your community and ultimately yourself. And so I think Jonathan, what you're doing, being aware of what's going on, aware of which bills are passing and which are not, signing petitions if you need to, donating where you can, like all of this is very valuable, even if it feels like a little bit and maybe not enough to stem the onslaught. A lot of people doing a little bit can really help. 
Yeah, I agree. I, and I will also say that, um, Jonathan, I would also get like other like-minded people galvanized around mm -hmm. uh, these particular bills um, and, and tell them get in contact, you know, with their state legislature uh, when it comes mm -hmm. to, you know, what they want to see as far as like um, how we're teaching our, you know, teaching our kids in school when it comes to sex education. Because like, yeah, you, you as you mentioned it, like, how in the world do you talk about HIV and you don't talk about sex? Yeah. yeah I mean, like, I, I don't understand that. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's insane that you can feel for some strange reason that you can separate the two. You cannot, you know, especially when, when a lot of transmission comes through sex period, you know? So like, um, it's important for uh, folks to be informed on, you know, how this thing can happen, even in this particular way, how to protect themselves, you know, in, you know, when it comes to sex, and also don't be afraid to talk about it. And, and that when you were even talking about the bill, um, kind of reminds me of what Dr. King said, he said, you can't, you can't uh, legislate morality, but you can legislate, you can regulate behavior. And yeah. Um, yeah. And, and like, and even like with that, that means that policy is important. I feel like this is a Wednesday show, uh -huh. but <laughs> you know, policy is important in this particular case because you want to, you, you want to make sure that government is doing its part in order to helping remove a lot of the stigma and, you know, a lot and, and government can, especially yeah. really making sure that church and state are separate like that you know religiosity and even especially like when we're talking about sex and science and things of that nature that that should not be something that is uh an influence when it comes to when it comes to school it, it just shouldn't be mm. you know like i'm not going to demonize a person if they want to go to church if you want to go to church that's cool but when it comes to when we're in school and we're talking about science and especially when we're talking about this disease and sex and things like that we need to be leaning more on what's empirical versus what's inspirational you know and uh, and i and i and i wish that that was something that was uh espoused more often but yeah you're doing the right thing and and yeah galvanize the troops around you know supporting this bill and and, and making the legislators pay attention so that they can support it as well yeah and that's especially hard in alabama especially in the rural areas we have schools that entirely ignore uh, the church-state separation, and we'll actually have pastors come in to act as coaches, as speaking in the auditoriums and stuff like that, and end up Goodness. actually giving sermons in school. Like it, it happened no doubt. when I was a yep. kid, and I, I found out from my niece and nephew that it was happening at their school. Which mm -hmm. uh, they they tell me about it again when it happens. I'm going to get recover not recovering from religion, uh, freedom from religion foundation on them. Good, um, that's what yeah. I was going to suggest. Reach out I'm to them. I'm prepared to yeah. file a report. Good. Yes. Well, Jonathan, it sounds like you're doing a lot to to educate yourself and, and the people around you and, and just kind of be a watchdog, like like that concept of just being somebody who is aware of what's going on so that when this information does come your way, and it will because it always does, you are able to accurately represent, no, actually, this is what's happening. And here are ways that you can yeah. help. The fact you're doing that, you're already doing more than a lot of people. So thank you so much for calling in. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you can only do the good that's in front of you. I like sure. that. Indeed. Agreed. All right. Have a good night, Jonathan. Well, thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. We do uh, have another caller. Do we want to take one more? Yeah. Who else you got yeah. for us? Perfect. Okay. We have Brian. 
from Utah. And Brian is calling about um, sex education, sexual shame, guilt, all of those things. Not not necessarily HIV related, but I do want to take this call because I think it ties in well with everything else we've been talking about. Brian, welcome to the show. How can we help you tonight? Hi, I'm so stoked to be here. Um, I am a fairly new listener, um, and I am a recent former Mormon. Within the last year or so, I've left religion. Uh, I also uh, was divorced in that time, and I'm mid-30s, um, cisgendered man. And um, anyway, I, I'm just looking for a little bit of help with delayed ejaculation issues. Uh, I am dating someone, and I feel like I'm back in my like adolescence uh, where I'll uh, feel guilt and shame creep in with sexual experiences and have a hard time coming. So anyway, I wondered if that could help educate me. I know I need to probably just be gentle with myself and that it's been decades of indoctrination. Um, but anyway, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Well, I can, I can empathize with the idea of you're, you're in a uh, sexual situation where you're, you're doing something that you've been told is probably bad. And you're like, Oh, I did not develop these skills enough. I feel like an awkward 13 year old. One of the first times I went out with a woman, I was like, I have no idea what to do. (laughs) I am feeling very weird and guilty and like just unsure of myself and and it it did feel very much like oh i just i i have not gotten up on this bicycle right <laughs> like this is not something i have done in a long time uh so i totally feel that especially compa- uh, paired with the deconversion process and and dealing with all of that indoctrination and looking at it for the first time as what it is that's a whole lot so i'm glad that you are aware that you should be gentle with yourself right now because you should be this is not going to be fixed overnight but that's okay because it doesn't have to be and everybody does this at their own pace uh so as someone without a dick i think that's as much specific information that i can offer but christy i'm curious what your thoughts are here yeah no i i almost want to just play your own words back to you, Brian, because I I think that you already have a sense of what you're up against here. Uh, I want to say quickly, just congratulations on uh, on making those changes, on getting to this point in your life, and also remind you that, oh my God, you are just now arriving here. Why should you expect to have it all figured out and have everything laid out? You know, I I don't want to at all be dismissive of what you're struggling with and how you're feeling through all of this, but I want to remind you that delayed ejaculation just means that you're not orgasming at the moment that you want to orgasm. And I think the challenge here is in changing that moment, changing that expectation on yourself or that idea that you're supposed to orgasm at a particular time. Sex doesn't require orgasm to be incredibly fulfilling and meaningful and satisfying. And I know that that can seem like I'm saying, well, you're just going to have to deal with it. But I, I sincerely believe that if you remove your ejaculation as the goal of sex and stop worrying about the sex that you're not having or the sex that you or the way that sex should look. And, and move to this place where you're actually enjoying sex as it is, enjoying the sex that you are having, regardless of when or if you ever actually reach orgasm, that 
things will naturally start to develop a rhythm. Things will naturally start to fall into place. And a lot of these concerns will evaporate without you having done much of anything other than just enjoy yourself along the way. How, do, how does that resonate for you? Yeah, no, that's that's super. I, I appreciate it. I do feel like I'm, you know, such an efficiency oriented human <laughs> that that I'm I get frustrated when my conscious mind and my subconscious mind don't link up exactly. Um, yeah, sure. that's, yeah, that is a thing. I feel that. <laughs> yeah. I, I add one more yeah. thing, if it's okay. Absolutely, um, Cynthia. Go ahead. Oh, the only thing. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, just a couple of things. I know kind of what helped me as far as like even my deconversion uh, journey uh, was recovering from religion. I, mm. I did call a couple of times and um, and also I looked at a lot and they have, depending on like what you're going through, they have a plethora of resources that you can um, that you can use in the toolbox um, to help you, you know, with your situation. And um, including like, you know, I, I love that they have like the secular therapy project uh, where you can actually, you know, get hooked up with a counselor that can kind of help you do some of these different things. And I think that also too, as a um, as a person who has also come out of religion, who was very much so um, had like certain expectations when it came to sex, including like, you know, even like, you know, when it comes to masturbation and, you know, loving myself that, oh, that's bad. That's this, that's that. And it took a while for me to kind of stop using those as expectations. Mm. So once I got to the point where I stopped putting expectations on what this should be, it became more enjoyable. And it's kind of like allowing yourself to just enjoy the time, enjoy the journey, enjoy the road you know, and how that looks is going to be different for everybody. And even if it's not to the point where you want it to be right now, like Jonathan said, like V said, that's okay. You know, I, I think that like oftentimes we constrain ourselves with these particular expectations, especially when it comes to, and, and sex can look so many different ways, including sex with yourself. So enjoy mm-hmm. it. Enjoy. And, and, um, Enjoy what you're feeling. Enjoy what uh, it can do for you internally and externally. Just in, just do, uh, and in, in, I'm not going to say just stop thinking that way. No, you can't do that. <laughs> and, you know, it's more so just like, again, you know, just like I'm, I'm going to, it's kind of like you, you have to, you, you can learn how to do uh, what like a lot of us like talk about is mindfulness, which is, you know, observe the comings and goings of thoughts without judgment. And I know that is very difficult to do. Uh, so I would encourage you to find a way to not uh, to, 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 you know, to be curious about this journey that you're on and, and, and just be observant about this journey you're on in all aspects and see where it takes you. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, I, I thought that mindfulness would be, you know, a key ingredient of things for a while. And for, for whatever reason, it's been difficult to, I guess, get started on that process. Um, yeah. Although most of the meaningful spiritual experiences I've had in the last five years have been in yoga. So <laughs> I, There I you go. Oh, yoga yeah. um, insight oh, timer is also a really that. good... Insight Timer is a really good free meditation app that has guided meditation that I have 
been utilizing a lot of recently. So I, I checked that out if I were you. And also before we let you go, Brian, I mm -hmm. do want to emphasize the idea of communication with your partner as well. Um, because I can tell you from personal experience, I have been with multiple men, not this sounds weird, multiple <laughs> people with penises <laughs> who have deconverted and have been forthright from the get-go like i have had sex once with this guy and it was i still remember it fondly even though he was like so just so you know i don't have a easy time coming and i probably am gonna have to like jerk off after we have sex but i want to have sex with you i want it to be awesome i want you to come we had sex it was awesome and then he you know finished himself off and we were good and we went to bed right like it's totally okay to yeah. expect your partner to be open to this and to not put pressure on you even even unknowingly right if, if you're not telling your partner this you might be thinking oh they expect this of me when if you just express you know hey here's the thing i'm dealing with right? Here's, here's a way that I'm going to need to get off tonight. <laughs> Is that okay? If they're on board, that takes so much stress out of the situation and so much of that like performance anxiety mm. which ultimately is not helping things so <laughs> i mean sure. i don't know how you have been with your partner but i would encourage you to be forthright and to just trust them to trust you yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, interestingly i mean i don't want to monopolize all of your time but um my partner's super generous and what's funny is that in my in my 12 year marriage with a beautiful wonderful human uh i would find myself almost constantly fantasizing during sex and my new sexual partner that i've been with for a couple of months uh is basically could be hand picked from those fantasies if that makes sense you know she's like well um, nice <laughs> you, know, you know all that kind of stuff but but it's so but it's so wild because I'll be having sex and my mind will still be like okay what should we think about and I'm like no dummy like we're right here you know it's, it's, it's really funny. yeah like and that. that push and pull tug on your focus and your presence yeah. may be part of what you're experiencing here and I I want to acknowledge that you're allowed to fantasize that may not be the best way of engaging with your partner that may not be the most satisfying sexual experience but it might be a satisfying sexual experience and that's not against the rules either mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, of just very practical tips and tricks I, I want to continue to highlight the fact that this is something that is you know likely tied to some unrealistic or uh, unhelpful expectations and all of these other things that we've said about uh, presence and, and mindfulness and all of that definitely still applies. But in terms of, of just sort of basic biology, uh, I might encourage you to be you know, mindful of particularly things like alcohol and tobacco. Uh, those are going to have pretty meaningful impacts on your ability to achieve orgasm. And if you are struggling to manage your own rhythms, uh, I would encourage you to look into something like erotic meditation or erotic hypnosis, uh, as well as just good old-fashioned jerk-off instruction videos from Pornhub or wherever else because that type of material 
can give you an opportunity to become a little bit more comfortable with your own body, with your own rhythms and signals and sensations, and develop a, a somewhat greater awareness of what exactly your buttons are and how to get to where you want to go. While you're working on all of those things, though, I, I want to just continue to encourage you to be mindful, not to over-optimize, not to feel like you need to fix this or that you need to, you know, get the 12-piece wrench set out and try and adjust and tweak and play with every little piece. If you allow, allow yourself to just enjoy the sex that you're having without creating a bunch of anxiety and pressure about the sex you should be having or the sex that you're not having, many of these things will naturally start to ebb and, and disappear. Awesome. Well, we threw a lot at you tonight, Brian, but thank you so much for calling in. Feel free to call back in and let us know if you've tried some of these techniques or you know how things are going. We'd love to continue this journey with you, um, but we will have to say goodnight uh, right now as we are wrapping up the show in about 15 minutes. So thank you so much for calling in. Thanks for holding space for me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, you take Brian. care. Okay. Awesome. Well, uh, as we're getting towards the end, I know we've talked a, a little bit uh, with the one of the last callers about what types of things people watching tonight can really do to be part of the solution. Yes. But I, I was curious if there was anything else that you wanted to throw out here in terms of where would we should be directing our efforts, where we should be directing our donations, and really even just what we should be mindful of in the way we uh, speak and, and even think about these issues. What kinds of tips or ideas do you have for us? Education, education, education. I cannot emphasize that enough. I think that like oftentimes if we can encourage conversation around educating people about this particular disease and transmission and how it can affect you and all the things, that is going to be so uh, great of a tool to be able to remove a lot of stigma that's mm -hmm. around it. You know, um, oftentimes stigma is perpetuated when people don't know, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, it's so important. Um, like I, I know that like that's one of the first things that like we uh, in, in different clinics that like um, are, are, are known to treat infectious diseases, especially HIV, is, um, you know, to have health educators to talk to them about the disease. And especially like when a person is newly diagnosed, like the, the first thing that we want to do is like offer them uh, some counseling that's around it to let them know that this is not a death sentence. Yeah. You can live a very healthy life. And, and I would also encourage people to do your own digging. You know, the CDC's website has a, a whole section just on HIV, on treatments, on transmissions, on statistics, on just about everything that you want to know about HIV is right there. And it's a really good resource. And also, um, Get involved as far as like, you know, donating to, you know, local AIDS foundations that, you know, help put um, more money into research and also patient assistance programs where uh, people would be able to access their, um, their, their medications without inhibition. 
right? They mm-hmm. don't necessarily have to be so concerned about, I don't have enough money or I don't even have health insurance or et cetera or all the like, because that is a thing that could right. be a huge barrier for people being able to get the treatment that they need. And, you know, we just need to um, just continuously have these conversations around it because HIV is not gone. It's it's there still very much so with us. And it's going to continuously be with us for a while. And but you know, if more of us kind of garner to, you know, getting educated and also supporting efforts in getting to zero. Um, yeah. the, the the latest is called U equals U, which is undetectable means untransmittable. Right. And so that is the thing that we have to continuously talk to people about so that we can get to the point where we're getting to zero and we don't have. And this disease can be eradicated if we do it together. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the uh, CDC's website. Uh, We've also talked about recovering from religion. Uh, I'm going to in particular mention the recovering from religion forums, uh, in part because we're going to be talking about those next week. Uh, But also the forums at at recoveringfromreligion.org are a great opportunity to have anonymous, if you need it to be, conversations about these topics to to try and remove some of that stigma and to try and be just a a little bit more comfortable with our bodies and and comfortable with reality as it is. What what other kinds of uh, resources or uh, or books or or just recommendations would you have for folks that are, are wanting to understand more about this? Um, so I was actually looking up like, uh, some of like the, one of some of the best books that's like out there that talks more about HIV and the fight against HIV. And I actually came up with five. (laughs) (laughs) So, and, um, hopefully like people can actually take a look at these a little bit later. Um, one is called The Plague by Albert Camus. Um, the other one is called The Coming Plague by Lori Garrett. Um, another one is called, um, and the band played on, is called Politics, People, and the AIDS Epidemic by Randy Schilt. Uh, so that one more is like a historical reference as far as like being able to kind of see like where we were and where we, and where how far have we, we have come when it came to, um, you know, a- HIV and AIDS. Um, Plagues and Peoples by William McNeil. And the last one is called The Invisible Cure, Africa, the West, and the Fight Against AIDS. Um, that's by a Helen Epstein. And that, you know, I need to read that one myself. That is, <laughs> um, and, and that's, and I, because I, I touched on it a little bit earlier about, you know, how the HIV and AIDS is still so prevalent in, mm-hmm. you know, on the continent of Africa. And one of the things that I've noticed that the uptick of infection, especially on the continent, you see also an uptick of um, of these uh, religious organizations uh, re- around Christianity and mm. evangelism, and um, and now you even have like you know more prosperity pastors that are coming out of you know different parts of Africa. Yeah, so sorry, V. Um, <laughs> it's unfortunate, but it oh. is a thing. And so yeah, so you know, so again. Uh, it, it would be a that's a that's a pretty good read in order for you know people to kind of like you know learn how 
unfortunately, we still have so much work to do to eradicate this particular disease. And again, it comes with knowledge. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll make sure to get that uh, that collection of books from you and, and make sure that we have that included in the show notes to this episode. So if you didn't catch some of those names or whatever else, we'll make sure to have some uh, links and details and resources and everything else attached to this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the last thing that I would say, I, I have not studied HIV specifically, but I have encountered a lot of this was not new to me because of books and TV shows that I have consumed where it was dealt with in very impactful and nuanced ways. Um, one book that I would recommend is Agenda by Linda Hirschman. It talks about the, I've recommended it on the show before, it talks about the uh, gay rights movement from the 1940s to Prop 8 in 2008 in California, which is when the book was published. And it does talk a lot about AIDS, a lot about the HIV epidemic and how the government responded or failed to um, for a lot of that. It talked about the ACT UP movement. It talked a lot about how the lesbian community stepped in and really fought for the gay community. It's it's a beautiful book, beautifully written, um, and it does have a lot of that history there as well. Also, if you want to watch some fiction with some compelling characters, I just finished Pose for the second time. Cried my eyes out. Love Pose. Cried my (laughs) eyes out Googling frantically when is season three coming out. It is probably one of the best shows on Netflix, certainly the best one Netflix has ever produced. And it deals very in a very nuanced and just dramatically just heartbreaking way around this and around the the history of it so not necessarily where it is right now but rather kind of where we came from and like um, what was going on back in the 80s and 90s so if you're interested in good tv that also deals with this topic that's you know an option as well um i do want to make sure we thank the crew before we head out today um because they have been doing some epic work behind the scenes Look at that crew cat. Oh, I see another tail. I see a second cat. There's a second cat going to be in the shot. Yes. Look at that ginormous cat. Oh, my goodness. Seriously. It's a lot of cat. It's a lot of cat. It's a BFC right there. Um, (laughs) All right. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Thank you for educating me a little bit more on the subject, Cynthia, and our viewers as well. We really, really appreciated you coming out here. Give us your links. Where can people find you? What are you doing? Uh, How do people get more Cynthia in their lives? Oh, wow. That's great. Okay. So that's my link tree. (laughs) That is the most professional (laughs) photo I have seen on this, this program yet. Oh, oh my wow. goodness. That's that's good. Shout out to my um uh my job that hooked that up. So <laughs> yeah, thank you, job. Uh so yeah, that is my link tree that has all things uh Cynthia as far as like where you can find me. I jump on a lot of different places in YouTube. So I do even have a link to like all of my YouTube experience uh, um appearances rather um i am also regular on a nonprofit, so that's a sunday show so check yeah, that Cynthia out is officially a, a aca host as well <laughs> yes and also too like i do also write a, a wealth and wellness blog uh, called adoshealthandwellness.com which i talk about the social determinants of health uh that's adjacent to people who descend from chattel slavery and so again all that stuff is my link tree 
Thank you. And also, mm-hmm. I, got, I want to thank you all for inviting me on and having this conversation and, and you know, and all the callers and just being here. This has been really great. And again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you for taking the time and talking about this important topic. Um, if you want access to more important sex related topics, especially if you live somewhere like Alabama where you're not getting it elsewhere, um, feel free to reach out to us. We have a uh, email uh, that is sex at atheist-community.org. We also have a voicemail box that you can call and leave a voicemail message if you want to be on the air on the phone, but you know, for whatever reason, can't call in. That's 512-666-0-ASK. It's 512-666-0279 or 75. Which one is it? 75. 75. Don't call 79. Tell whoever is on the other end your sexual. Very confusing conversation. (laughs) But maybe a fun one. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, We also are available on things like our Facebook Secular Sexuality fan group that is moderated by fans for fans. There's some awesome questions and conversations happening there all the time. And we also have our Discord um, where people jump in and have those awesome conversations on voice chat or on video chat as well. You can find that at tiny.cc slash ACA Discord. And you can buy merch. We have merch at bit.ly slash AEN merch. You can get, look at those sexy mugs and shirts and pillows and stickers and all of those cool things. Um, so if you're interested in supporting us as we do what we do, uh, feel free to support us by donating to our Patreon, by buying some merch. Um, one of the ways, not to shill terribly, but one of the ways to help get the news out there about these topics to help further education is to help the ACA do what they do in the progression of church-state separation. Mm-hmm. All right, Christy, I'm going to throw it over to you for the outro. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a mouthful, uh, and uh, that's what he and she said. Uh, I guess this is a, a good moment for us to encourage everybody out there uh, safely and without any pressure or stigma or anything else attached to go ahead and give themselves a big old orgasm. Or, better yet, give somebody else one. one. 